0: read all about it podcast tackles controversies that define your world listen to incubatively now extra extra read all about it oh my god kelly the oscars so exciting (laughs) you're
1: seriously excited about awards for movies
0: No, actually not. Not really. I was trying to be energetic for the podcast.
1: That's admirable of you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not not super excited, but I do think that there are some interesting nominations this year that could lend themselves to a good discussion for today's episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the nominees we're seeing today in all sorts of categories look a lot different than nominees we saw growing up, for instance, or obviously the very start of the Oscars
0: themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, representation in Hollywood has definitely been a hot-button issue the last few years, and whether it's genuine or not, which we'll talk about, it certainly appears a little better this year.
1: This will be one of the times that I really hope it's genuine and sincere, and not just some sort of lip service to what fans have been asking the Oscars to do.
0: So you're saying you hope it's not just skin deep? Uh?
1: Sometimes, You really try my patience.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, moving on. Before we get to that, just for fun, let's start with a prediction on this year's winners.
1: Okay. It is worth pointing out that we are recording this on March 9th, and the Oscars will be this Sunday the 12th, which is
0: our typical release date. Mm, So we are releasing on the same day as the Oscars. Hopefully we don't hurt the ratings of the award show with people listening to us instead.
1: Okay. You'll probably hear this after the winners have been announced, but we will have already locked in our predictions so you can rest assured that no shenanigans have taken place.
0: Shenanigans or tomfoolery.
1: Or malarkey.
0: <laughs> have you actually seen any of the nominees for Best Film?
1: I have seen two of the nominees.
0: Mm, which which two have you watched?
1: Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Mm-hmm. And-
0: Top Gun Maverick. Okay, I could totally see that as a Kelly movie.
1: My dad was in the Navy. He wanted to watch it with me and then point out why it was wrong.
0: <laughs> was it was it not very accurate? Or he
1: would never be let to just like ride his motorcycle on a runway like that.
0: Okay, but it's Tom Cruise. Yeah,
1: uh, no, I don't give a shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually know before we put together this list. There's a lot of movies nominated. So there's All Quiet on the Western Front which I also have not seen, Avatar, The Way of Water, which I refuse to see, mm-hmm. The Banshees of Inisharan, which actually looks interesting, but you did not see that one?
1: No, uh, that's what I think I'm planning to see, though, because I've seen a
0: lot of talk about it. Mm. Also, Elvis, The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness, The the last three I had not even heard of.
1: The amount of films that they've been nominating for Best Picture has increased probably over the last seven to 10 years, I would say. used to, I think, be a core group of maybe five. So I'm pretty used to seeing this quantity because even though I don't really watch movies, I do like to watch award shows.
0: You mentioned, so one of the two that you did watch, though, was Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I think uh, it would be my obviously very educated pick. And the consensus pick for most odds makers as the favorite to win this year.
1: Yeah, that was a stellar movie. Obviously, I can't really compare it to too many of the other nominees. But it was so different than anything else I'd ever seen and so well executed that I can see why it's been winning so many awards
0: already. I liked it. I thought that it brought back for me similar vibes to two other movies, both of which are favorites of mine. One would be The Matrix. Mhm mhm I think that's a pretty direct comparison there. The other one, the movie actually wasn't so great, but I really enjoyed the book and that would have been Cloud Atlas. I believe I saw the movie of that. Yeah, Tom Hanks was in that one.
1: It was years ago, but it was the same actor's portraying multiple different kinds of characters, right?
0: Yeah, it was another movie that kind of followed characters across timelines. If The Matrix has strong Christian Symbolism in it. This one has very strong Buddhist symbolism, uh, ideas of reincarnation, rebirth, what you did in a previous life affects who you become in the future, whether you're elevated in society or dropped.
1: Hmm. I don't think it would brought any other films to mind for me. I guess the only comparison I've really heard made that I can see now that I've reflected on it is that it has a lot of similarities with films like Encanto, hmm. with the idea of like generational expectations and dealing with the reconciliation between the expectations of past generations and what the youth actually want for themselves and mothers apologizing. That's nice to see.
0: I also suppose it could have some vibes, but I don't want to do it the injustice of comparing it to Dr. Strange multiverse of madness or whatever it was. That was basically like a bad attempt at everything, everywhere, all at once.
1: That one was really awful. I like Marvel movies so much. They're like popcorn to me, fittingly. Movies, popcorn. I get it. But that one, it. that one was, I think, just so cheesy and the effects were just poor quality. Not a not a great Marvel movie.
0: You didn't like Zombie Cumberbatch?
1: I didn't like anything about it.
0: <laughs> well, fittingly, with everything everywhere all at once, it's also provided for us one of the biggest stories of the Oscars this year, and that would be the favorite to win best lead actress, Michelle Yeoh. Yeah,
1: she was stellar. And she's had such a long career and been so brilliant for a very long time that it's definitely seen by a lot of people as being an overdue accolade.
0: Mm -hmm. And Speaking of overdue, she would also be the first woman of color to win in two decades. Pop quiz, who was the last one?
1: I know the answer. Were you expecting me not to know the answer?
0: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. For our listeners, pop quiz, who was the last one? Kelly's about to provide you the answer. It was Halle Berry. Ooh, for James Bond. Monster's Ball, I believe. Oh, it wasn't for 007.
1: <laughs> A friend of mine lent me the DVD of Swordfish like 25 years ago and was like, you have to watch this. Halle Berry's talkless in it. <laughs> I never watched it. And I think that that DVD got thrown away. Sorry, Halle Berry.
0: <laughs> and not just Michelle Yeoh, but also her. Supporting actor, K-Hui Kwan, is the favorite to win Best Supporting Actor.
1: This is another story about things that may have been a long time coming as well.
0: This is the guy, I didn't realize this, but this is the actor. He was Data in The Goonies and Short Round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah, so those
1: were pretty formative movies in my childhood to watch. So seeing somebody familiar to me all grown up like this is is pretty cool.
0: For him, though, after those two pretty big roles, at least for someone of that age, after those and then a couple of others, he stopped acting just completely because there's a lack of opportunities for Asian-American actors.
1: That's something that's been... A prevalent issue in Hollywood for many, many years, and a critique of a lot of award shows, as well as a lack of representation of those few acting roles in their awards categories. But after how well Crazy Rich Asians did, he saw that there may be a shifting tide in the way that Asian actors would be represented in Hollywood, and more opportunities may
0: emerge. And look at them now. Mm-hmm. And this is. I think most people are saying part of why he's favored to win, not not trying to take away from the performance itself, but Oscar voters love a comeback story. And so it's not just the performance that they vote on when they're deciding the winners of these awards, but so much of it is the personal or societal narratives behind the actor.
1: So not only is his story a big part of why he is expected to win But it's a perfect segue into what we are talking about today, which is representation in Hollywood.
0: Mm, Or, like you just said, maybe lack of representation in Hollywood is a better way to describe it.
1: Oh, are you going to be the cynical one today?
0: Aren't we both usually the cynical ones? That's true. (laughs) As cynical as we might be, though, we have reason for hope. In recent years, we have seen breakthroughs for diversity in the movies that are being produced. You mentioned Crazy Rich Asians. We also have some pretty big, we talked about the Marvel movies, pretty big Marvel blockbusters in Black Panther, Shang-Chi, also some more interesting movies like Jordan Peele's contributions of Black representation into the horror-ish genre, I'll call it, with uh, Get Out, Nope, and Us.
1: You know, they're not really horror movies because I actually was able to
0: watch them and sleep afterwards. <laughs> That's why they've got the ish tag. They're sort of an interesting mix of horror, sci fi, etc. Psychological
1: thriller to some degree as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean very well done. I've enjoyed all of the movies that
0: I've watched of his. Mm-hmm. So we have black representation, we have Asian representation.
1: Let's keep on the uh representation train. What there what other people are represented? How about people from the Latino community?
0: Well uh, I guess we have the Machete franchise, the the best of which is obviously Machete Kills in Space. It's offensive that he didn't win an Oscar for that. I've not watched any of those films. Danny Trejo. I
1: know. I love Danny Trejo. He played Rosa's dad on Brooklyn Nine-Nine he shows up on Drag Race every once in a while. Like, (laughs) Diddy Trejo just seems like a cool dude. I just, like, I'm sorry, the Machete films don't really seem like they'd be my cup of tea.
0: (laughs) But as as much as I agree, I I like that guy a lot. He definitely has played some really stereotypical roles. And I, I think it leads to the first question that we have to ask in this episode, which is, should we be celebrating efforts in Hollywood to produce films that are more diverse it might seem on face value well like obviously yes but i think there's more to it than that
1: right there are definitely ways that you can say this film has people from this type of background in it therefore that's representation and it could be completely exploitative (laughs) so Mm -hmm. you'd have to look at how well it's done and whether it actually champions and celebrates those people or whether it kind of denigrates them yeah
0: And I think that we should probably start, obviously, there was representation before this, but maybe the movie that really brought this to the forefront in terms of a a mega hit blockbuster Hollywood movie recently was, we mentioned already, Crazy Rich Asians. And this movie did do a lot for representation. It had been 25 years since we had a big budget Hollywood movie with a predominantly Asian cast. That movie being the Joy Luck Club in 1993. Other than that, it was just kung fu movies, nerdy tech geeks, or, you know, the Asians were there for Tom Cruise or some other white person to save.
1: Knowing that the Joy Luck Club is 30 years old is making me feel weird things about my age right now.
0: I definitely <laughs> watched
1: that movie when I was younger.
0: Mm. This movie, we had Constance Wu as the, I'm going to say just normal. Main character, you know, she wasn't a kung fu expert. She wasn't a hacker. She was just a person that happens to be Asian.
1: Yeah, I'd say it's probably a pretty fair classification. She's an Asian American character, grew up in the States. Mm-hmm.
0: She wasn't put there because she fits some trope, which I think is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then alongside her, we have Henry Golding as the leading man, and which is, again, interesting because I'm going to say it he's a sexy dude. He's not. What sometimes would portray as a a feminized Asian, or again, he doesn't fall into some of the tropes that Asians are typically used for in movies by directors.
1: Yeah, a lot of the outcry about the representation of Asians in film have to do with the fact that Asian men especially are never given that kind of, I don't know, heartthrobby role.
0: Mm -hmm. He's here as the hunk of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. So, what's interesting here, though, is that this movie is not without i'm gonna say complaint, but we would be doing ourselves a disservice, not point out the fact that he is half white, his background he's British and Malaysian. Does that matter? That starts going
1: to go into some very uncomfortable territory because there are plenty of actors who we consider actors of color as well, who are not 100% non-white people. Halle Berry, for instance, I believe has a white mother. Mm-hmm. The important thing I think is that he's cast in playing a character with a specific demographic background and the audiences are receiving him as that character. And I guess it doesn't matter because that is the extent of how complex that relationship
0: has to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to take anything away from him because he has actually made comments about you know, his, his own background saying that he got some criticism of, okay, maybe he's, quote, not Asian enough to play this particular role. But he was also cast in a G.I. Joe movie, Snake Eyes, where in the comics originally, the character Snake Eyes was blonde and white. Happened to be a ninja, and maybe a little bit problematic that they tapped into the half Asian guy to play the ninja. Like we're going to put representation in, but like we talked about earlier, it's going to be in the most tokenistic fashion possible. Again, he he's definitely struggled with this in the past, so this is not a criticism of him in any way. But I'm curious as far as the directors are concerned, or you know, capital H Hollywood is concerned. Is it an issue that if they do want to put the hunky leading man into a movie, they feel the need to tap somebody who isn't 100% from an Asian background, but is also half white? Does that water down the importance of their gesture for, for making this predominantly Asian movie?
1: I think there are a few relationships that would have to account for how we feel about that. For starters, he is the actor himself is agreeing to play this part and he has to reconcile the character and his own background and see whether or not he thinks it's either tokenistic or it actually is representative. And then you have to ask what are the motivations behind casting him specifically? Was the director trying to find somebody who was partially a white person to play an Asian role or was it actually like on the merits of his acting? They wanted somebody who, yes, was believably from Asia, but overwhelmingly, they wanted the acting quality of this person more than they cared about his parentage. Mm -hmm. And then how the audience receives it as well. We can say that it's tokenistic or we can say it's representative, but we're actually not the ones who get to arbitrate that. I think the people who view the movie get to weigh in. And as I remember, this movie did quite well. So I think the audience has spoken.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he did a great job. If I were him, I would certainly take the role and not have any hesitation about it. But again, if we're talking about representation and trends in Hollywood, at the same time, I think it's interesting to at least point out the specifics of this circumstance. Overall, though, I think Crazy Rich Asians is considered a win for representation and set the groundwork for some of the other movies that we're going to be talking about.
1: And it really makes me want to visit Singapore, but only if I've got a net worth of like $25 million.
0: (laughs) And maybe go back and uh, watch Joy Luck Club again. That was 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, I think that took place in San Francisco too. I can't remember. I'm old.
0: Two other movies here. And I think these ones are really interesting because they're both by the same studio. But one of which, spoiler alert, I think they did a good job. One of which, spoiler alert, Maybe not a spoiler because I've complained about it in other episodes. Yeah, you I, think, have. I, I think they did a bad job, but we'll we'll get a little bit more nitpicky about it in this episode. So these movies would be by the Marvel, Studio, Disney, Black Panther, and Shang-Chi. Are they authentic representations or are they tokenistic?
1: Well, considering that both of the societies that are portrayed in these films don't actually exist, to a degree, it could never be authentic. So that's part of the answer, but I know what we're actually talking about. We're talking about, is this authentic to the relatability between the characters as they're portrayed being of a certain culture and the way that the audience would accept that as being that kind of representation?
0: Well, I actually think the the point you're making there is very important. The fact that these are set, even though they're obviously... Influenced by Africa and Asia, the fact that they're set in imaginary places makes a big deal in terms of how the movies played out and decisions by the directors in the studios. So, in Black Panther, for example, Wakanda is an imaginary place. And because of that, Chadwick Bozeman actually took the time and was dedicated enough to invent his own accent. And what was important about that accent is that he made sure that it didn't have any European influence Mm -hmm. because if Wakanda was what Wakanda was portrayed to be, which is an African country that was uncolonized, it would not make sense to take some of the existing African accents that we do have that do have European influence and put that in the movie. And so he really thought through that, did the work to ensure that it was authentic in that way and i don't know about you but like coming up with an accent and being able to speak with it throughout an entire movie seems like a lot of work
1: it's actually so remarkable that he's the one who took the lead on that too and it didn't come from the director or the studio which uh really points to the importance of who you cast and how invested they are in the project he was i think a pretty remarkable person so definitely a loss uh, in Hollywood when it comes to not only his talent, but his advocacy and his thoughtfulness towards representation.
0: Mm -hmm. And so now, if we take that and we contrast it with Shang-Chi, where it seems like they just slammed a room full of Asian actors together, who, even though they supposedly originate, and again, to your point, from the same imaginary village... They all just had their own, whatever the actor's real-world Western-influenced accent happened to be. So all of these people from the same village, theoretically, all spoke differently. And it's just a very direct comparison between the two movies that I think speaks to the authenticity of one and the potential tokenism of the other.
1: This is where I confess being a bad movie watcher, because I watch the movie and I was like, that was bright and shiny and Marvel and entertaining. And I do not pick up on any of the nuance of that because I, <laughs> I have no stakes in this. I don't know what the differences are um, amongst the actors or how they're trying to portray a specific culture in this film. I'm just looking at the shiny fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not the right audience to evaluate that. And when I've heard since then, how disappointing this movie was when it came to representation. Like, obviously I believe all the criticism of people who would know better than I do.
0: I really think what you're trying to say here is that I'm just more woke than you.
1: You get it this time, but think about all the (laughs) other times that I have been
0: the better person and like by far the better person than you. (laughs) I don't want to think about that back to this topic. (laughs) (laughs) We, but we also have other examples uh, from black Panther in terms of the ceremonies even though there weren't any real ceremonies, there was obvious work done to ensure that they respectfully drew inspiration from ceremonies in the continent of Africa, the clothing, names just being pronounced correctly. A lot of this is in contrast to some of the other issues uh, with Shang-Chi that mirror what we mentioned earlier with everything everywhere all at once or crazy rich Asians that put forward some pretty just overdone tropes of Asian culture.
1: Right. One of the criticisms of Shang-Chi is that it leans into some sexist tropes right off of the bat. Xia Ling, who is Shang-Chi's sister in the film, is overlooked by her traditionally minded father her entire life, which feeds into a lot of stereotypes that a lot of Westerners have about Asian culture, where daughters are not as highly prized as sons are.
0: And similarly, we have two rival factions in the movie. One would be the irrational and violent Wen Wu, and the other one is led by the exotic and protectionist Ying Li. And it took Shang Chi with his Western upbringing to come and save them, versus the literal plot of Black Panther, where this African nation is saving and educating the rest of the world. So we've got, in a weird way, A white savior complex with Shang-Chi. Or at
1: least a heavily westernized savior complex. Fair. I know that we're lauding the wonderful Black Panther film, or films plural, but even that franchise is is imperfect. And it's not that surprising because it's a major motion picture and not like a
0: documentary. Well, the first one is pretty good, but the second one seemed to break down a little bit. A little bit.
1: Where do you see that movie failing, um, especially as it compares to the first one?
0: First of all, I thought that the major dilemma of the movie, which was assimilation into the global community or not, in the first one, the question was, should Wakanda assimilate or not, was basically just repeated in the second one. Now we have the underwater nation led by Namor asking the same question, should we assimilate or not? And then Namor is my main issue with the movie it seemed as though they just decided to slam in a Latino actor to play him which I think the actor did a good job to knock Huerta Mejia but it did seem a little bit forced on the part of the studio
1: now something I didn't know was that And I'm not a comic book reader, except as we've previously touched on, the Archie comics. Uh, So um, Marvel didn't really enter into, into my reading habits as a child. But the character of Namor in the comics was initially white. And he was the son of an American mariner and a princess of Atlantis. And I do see a lot of merit in taking... Characters who initially may have been white or perceived as white and casting them with people from different backgrounds as a way to diversify. But they completely infused the culture of pre-Columbian South America or Central America into this character as well in the film in a way that didn't exist in the comic books. And I mean, again, it's not for me to say if that's representation, but some people may look at that and say that feels tokenistic.
0: And this is where it's difficult to decide between authentic or tokenistic. And that's when the studios have a very clear profit motive to make these decisions. Are they making these decisions because Latinos are underrepresented in Hollywood? To be specific, even though as a population, Latinos purchase nearly a quarter of movie tickets nationwide, that's 25%. See how fast I did that?
1: You're so good at math, Josh. We know.
0: Only 5.4% of Hollywood lead roles and 57 of all roles on screen are held by Latino or Latina actors. Definite underrepresentation there. That being said, during the release of the first Black Panther film in 2018, 65% of moviegoers were non-white. And that movie ended up making $1.3 billion, with a B, dollars the cynical side of me coming back is sort of thinking marvel executives look at how much money we made tapping into a black audience what if we threw a latino in there too
1: and if the audience bites if they take that bait and they decide that they want to watch that film and they enjoy it and they put their money into viewing it is that what determines whether or not it was tokenistic
0: hmm and to be clear I don't have the answer to that question, right? We don't know what the motives of Marvel Disney executives were and for all intents and purposes, the representation of the South American, again, it was a, it was a made up place, but obviously drew inspiration from central South America. The treatment of it was pretty good. So no major issues there, but That's kind of the question is, even if they do a good job of it, if the reason they're doing a good job is because they, being a predominantly white owned and run company, want to make a bunch of money off of non-white cultures, actors, etc. Even if they do a good job, is it a good thing?
1: I think I would prefer. And again, I'm saying this as a white person. I think I would prefer seeing more diverse films altogether. Obviously. Nothing that was like disparaging about people who are non-white, but putting them into lead character roles and letting them have prominence in stories, even if the motivation behind the studio doing so is profit-driven. I'd rather have that happen and have the representation than for them to say, nope, we just genuinely only want these movies to be led by white people, and we don't care about diversity.
0: Even if that means we end up with a Black Little Mermaid?
1: You know what I'm going to say about this. I welcome that. You know, I'm on the TikTok. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about TikTok again. Of course, once an episode. There are so many videos of children, Black children, Black little girls in particular, watching the preview for The Little Mermaid. And you hear the voice before she comes on screen. And then when she comes on screen and she's a Black girl, oh my God, those kids are like, she looks just like me. Like they feel so connected and, and seen. I don't care if Disney makes money off of that. Like they're going to anyway, but the validation that those little kids are experiencing is so pure. And I think that's really great.
0: Hmm. But to stay on the cynical train for a little while longer, let's look at another example. In September, Warner brothers announced that it's highly anticipated superhero movie. Batgirl starring Afro Latina actress, Leslie grace Martinez was canceled. So we have a whole lot of representation that almost happened here. Basically, what happened is once Discovery merged with Warner Brothers earlier this year, the $90 million budgeted film, which had completed filming, right, this movie was done, was discarded as a write-off. And I think estimates say that it would have cost an additional $9 million to bring it to release. So Warner Brothers decided that $9 million wasn't worth spending on a movie that had already spent $90 million to bring it to theaters. And it would have been female lead, Afro-Latina, all sorts of a representation here.
1: $9 million is chump change for Warner Brothers. They own the rights to Harry Potter. They've got the money.
0: So doesn't this make you think, though, that these decisions are made 100% based on profit and not any more positive motivations.
1: Do we care that much about the motive if we get the outcomes we're looking for? There are lots of films that are shelved whether or not they've got minority representation or non-white representation.
0: Okay, but Black Adam cost 210 million dollars to make. So almost over double what Batgirl cost. It made 389 million, which I don't know. I I don't know if that's good profit. It's certainly not 1.3 billion like Black Panther. But that movie was hot garbage. If they were going to produce Black Adam, you don't think that they could have just let Batgirl go through?
1: Well, Black Adam made a profit. And every Econ 101 class tells you if you're going to make a profit, it's worth doing.
0: But then is your implication there that the studio decided that Batgirl would not make a profit, which? I think is problematic because obviously the Batman franchise is huge. So what they're saying is, although pretty much every Batman movie would be assumed to make a profit, the one about a female and a minority female would be the one that wouldn't make a profit. Isn't that a problem?
1: I don't know if the movie is going to be garbage and they've done things like market testing and people say like, this is, this sucks. We're not going to pay to watch this. And it wouldn't have done well in, in theatrical releases and perhaps made that actress in particular look really bad in the process. That probably would have been worse to release than not having it had a release at all. I, I mean, we don't know too much about the film, but I can imagine that even if there was a profit motive behind not sending it out, not spending that additional $9 million to just finish it there might have also been a good outcome by making sure which films are actually out there are good representations
0: of non-white people. Mm. Well, either way, Namor, Latino representation in Black Panther made a whole lot of money. So like you said, regardless of the motives, we got diversity there, which again, maybe is a step forward because most of the time what studios do is not produce a whole movie for a minority demographic, but they just sort of throw the token minority character into the white dominated movie. Watch one very recently that had that exact same thing happen. Which movie was that? Watched
1: free guy. <laughs> I was just going around and I saw that it was on uh, the Disney plus app and I'm like, Oh, that looks like it might be fun. And there were absolutely characters in there who could have been played by non-white actors And there were a couple of non-white actors, but they were given like secondary and tertiary roles. And the main characters were obviously played by white people because that's the dominant way that Hollywood
0: works. So in these instances where we have a predominantly white movie, but minority characters, we have a lot of the same questions as what we just asked for movies in general. But also, I think that there's some specific ones that relate to Other identities as well. Starting with race, if we had a movie about Martin Luther King Jr., it would be real hard to cast an actor who isn't black. But if we have a movie like Milk, which was about Harvey Milk, the first openly gay elected official in California, you don't necessarily need a gay actor to play a gay character. And in in this case, specifically, Harvey Milk was played by Sean Penn
1: even if you can have this character played by anyone who may have like a physical resemblance, perhaps it would be more true to the character to cast somebody who shared some of the same
0: identities. Mm -hmm. And so this same, I guess, flexibility, right? There isn't a need to cast somebody who shares the same traits as the character, but you could, would apply to gender minorities. It would apply to LGBTQ characters, it would apply to characters with disabilities. I'm thinking of Forrest Gump, played by Tom Hanks. I'm thinking of Dustin Hoffman playing a character with autism in Rain Man. Or once again, Sean Penn playing a character with learning disabilities in I Am Sam. Are these good casting decisions? Or if our goal is representation in Hollywood, should we be having people? Play characters who share kind of the defining features of those characters?
1: I don't think I want to lock it in so that people can only play characters that have the same sort of identity as them. I'm actually kind of running into this question with books I've been reading where there are characters, lead characters in the book who are identified as being someone of color, but the author is white. I'm like, is that appropriate? But then you could say, then men couldn't write women or things like that. And the reason I think that that if you restricted it too far in acting, then you don't get some of the things that are coming out recently, which are actually kind of um, turning the tables on this. We're starting to see more trans performers playing cis characters. I'm thinking specifically of Jinx Monsoon, who is a drag queen from Portland. What up? Um, who is playing a character and then on Broadway in Chicago, who's a cis woman. And I'm starting to see actors who I know are trans or non-binary playing characters that don't share their identity, too. So we, we can't shut the door on this entirely or we would be losing the opportunity for characters played by people who don't share those characteristics in the opposite direction.
0: And I definitely think in in the examples that I brought up, these are three pretty universally accepted as incredible performances, and I don't think that Forrest Gump would have been Forrest Gump without Tom Hanks. Dustin Hoffman's portrayal was amazing in "Rain Man, and uh, Sean Penn, despite uh, personal off-screen issues, it's hard to deny that he also is a pretty incredible actor and did. Justice to each of the characters that he played?
1: It ultimately comes down to execution. There are going to be instances in which people portray characters that have different characteristics than they do, and they do it poorly. And it is an affront. It is an offense to the people themselves if they're actual real life historical figures. And it's offensive to the communities that they are members of. But if it's executed well, and it allows a story to be brought to the fore that otherwise wouldn't have been showcased at all. It might be an acceptable cost in order to get those stories
0: told. You know, it's unique from other types of representation insofar as it is literally acting. You are pretending to be something other than you are. Even if you're within that community, you aren't the person that you're playing, even if you do share some characteristics. Very few actors just play themselves on screen, <laughs> except for maybe Terry Cruz or The Rock, who their job is just to be charismatic and absolutely jacked.
1: Whenever I think of an actor playing themselves, I think of John Malkovich.
0: <laughs> yeah. So there there are probably some typecast actors who literally just go on screen and be themselves. But for the most part, that's the point of acting. You're playing somebody you're not. And I also don't think that it's possible. Especially think back on some of these defining performances. It's not possible to give an effective performance without investing yourself into the character, wh- whoever that is. And I think that that has to come with a certain degree of respect and a certain degree of empathy.
1: An actor should know and understand the motivations and sentiments that drive their character. Otherwise, they're not doing their job very well.
0: But at the same time, if you are trying to play a trans character, for example, and you're trying to portray the thought processes, the mannerisms, the way of speaking, the way of thinking that comes out in a performance, at a certain point, you're never going to get as close as an actual trans person. Same thing with a character with a disability. If you have lived your whole life in a wheelchair, if you are blind, a deaf character uh, in a quiet place, for example, they cast Millicent Simmons, who is a deaf American actress, to play the deaf daughter of John Krasinski. And I don't know, I know there's some amazing actors out there, but I, I just, I'm hard pressed to believe that any of them would be able to capture the nuance of somebody who has lived this their entire life and is also a talented actor to the same quality.
1: I think we can agree that the preferred outcome is that these types of characters are played by people who share their identities or situations. But when that isn't always possible, because studios are going to studio and they don't always think with empathy or social consciousness the compromise i guess we have to accept is if we want to see these characters sometimes we're going to have to see them portrayed by people who are not indicative of that community or share those types of struggles or conditions or a life story
0: so i feel like thus far in the episode our answer to to basically everything has been well could be done well could be done poorly is that the moral Of this issue or do we have ways of helping push things in the right direction so we get more Black Panther, less Shang-Chi?
1: Well, what's one of my favorite things to say? Vote with your dollar. If you want to see more representation in Hollywood, don't partake of Hollywood's products until they give you what you want. But people seem to be voting with their dollar that they're satisfied with the way things are going right now. Um, So once again, my little solo boycott of one person is not going to probably
0: do very much. Right. And I mean, I I guess that that goes two ways. Uh, On one side, this is a business. So like you said, studios are going to studio and no business has an obligation to further social causes, but we also don't need to watch. I think that there's a downside to that too, though, because we did bring up Batgirl and if studios' motives are profit-based, and they don't think that people are going to watch any particular movie, we might be losing access to interesting stories, authentic representations, diverse casts that we might have gotten otherwise. I think that's
1: unavoidable by the nature of these films will not get made if there's no monetary reason to do so. They're not charitable organizations.
0: I guess that's where indie films come in.
1: They still need money.
0: Hmm. One thing I think is important to talk about, we're obviously addressing this subject today because of the Oscars. And the Oscars, we have best film, leading actor, leading actress, etc. One that I think is pretty well respected at the awards ceremonies, but maybe not thought about as much throughout the rest of the year, is the director, best director. The person making the movie, even though you don't see them, I think is very important, right? It's the, the actors are the ones that get the fame. They're the ones on screen. But with a certain few exceptions, obviously, directors sometimes, I think, are looked over.
1: That's why more directors should actually be in their movies, like
0: Kevin Smith. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and But I think that, that they might be where the answer lies. Because as opposed to a movie maker, whether it's the studio, director, producer, what have you, the people with the actual power, as opposed to white people hiring minorities to make them money and then profiting off of those performances, you have somebody that's actually invested, not just in the profit motive, but also maybe in ensuring that a movie is produced or a culture or community is portrayed in an authentic, respectful way.
1: I see what you're saying about there being a level of control and a level of thoughtfulness that can come from the directors of films. However, a lot of the directors are still confined by studio expectations, producers who are bankrolling the film and their expectations. So while they have a degree of creative control, I don't think it's absolute.
0: Maybe we need a, I don't think this exists. Maybe we need a best producer award at the Oscars too.
1: The best picture award kind of is the best producer award because the producers are the ones who actually get to like get the trophy.
0: No, that just that just means that the producer picked the right people to make them a bunch of money. Yeah. So best producer. You don't watch enough award shows. <laughs> mm, I think it's different because... Like we've talked about, there's a lot of very profitable movies that are very problematic in terms of their portrayals of people, even though they made a ton of money off of it. You had, at least in terms of what we're talking about today, the wrong person producing the movie.
1: That's why we all need to become very wealthy and then we'll fund the films that we want to see. And you're not going to watch any of them because they're going to be like very boring
0: suffragette films and shit like that. (laughs) You're probably right. (laughs) I'll stick with my Black Panther movies. Sure. Going back to our original movie that we have as our favorite to take home all the stuff in the Oscars, everything, everywhere, all at once. I think this is a good example. The co-directors, but one of which is Daniel Kwan alongside Daniel Scheinert, seem to care about the way that the actors, first of all, who the actors are. The way that the actors portray their particular characters within the movie. And so, from the top down, this movie seemed like an effort to put forth diversity into Hollywood in an authentic way.
1: I wonder how hard that film was to sell to a studio because not only does it defy a lot of expectations of who the main cast would be, mostly non white characters, but the story is just so bananas (laughs) that. I bet the pitch meetings for that were like, no, believe us, the the bagel has a real purpose in this. The hot dog fingers have a real purpose in this.
0: The two rocks are the ones that should be getting the best actor (laughs) awards. That
1: was devastating. The two rocks, devastating. (laughs) I need to watch it again. I watched it. That was the first movie I'd seen in an actual theater since COVID began. Mm. It was kind of a living room theater. And I went with like a friend co-worker. We don't work in the same department anymore. And I'm sitting there like trying not to cry in front of my co-worker (laughs) during Mm -hmm. that film. It was a kind of a um, a gut-wrenching film.
0: Mm. But right. So some of the more positive portrayals that we've talked about throughout this episode, you can look to the directors or producers. We have Daniel Kwan. We have Jordan Peele, who we talked about earlier with Get Out, Nope, and Us. And you have John Chu, who is the director for Crazy Rich Asians. So there definitely seems to be evidence to support the idea that when not just the cast, but also the management, the moneymakers show some sort of diversity as well, we lean towards authentic and away from tokenism.
1: So what I'm hearing, and I think you'll agree with me, is that we need to oust all studio executives that are white, especially cishet dudes and make sure that studios themselves are also extremely representative. And then all the films will be, and it will be wonderful.
0: Yeah. All the films will be representative and horrible. I won't want to watch any of them.
1: It does seem like there are films that are trying very, very hard to be representative in a way that is kind of off putting. Like the tokenism is very blatant in a lot of it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the newer I watched a lot of Disney Halloween films in the fall because I like Halloween a lot, but I don't like being scared, which we've talked about before. And it seems like they do everything they can to make sure that every single character occupies like at least two different identities to the point where it seems like an unnatural concentration of specific identities in this one little like northeastern small town high school.
0: Right. Didn't this start with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? What do you mean? You had the blonde pink ranger, you had the Asian green ranger, you had the black dude that played the gold ranger, whatever, et cetera. But you would just see every ranger had to check a box in terms of identity to be on the team.
1: But that was only like five people. I'm talking about how like, I do not believe that there are that many kids with all of these extremely niche identities all attending the same high school. (laughs) That'd be a dope high school to attend though.
0: It could be Nevermore, Wednesday's High School. I have not watched Wednesday yet. Whoa, wow. So I actually, I know it's not a movie, but I think it's an interesting example. Obviously, insanely popular. I don't think it got enough credit for how feminist it is. I, I got to watch it and see
1: if I agree with it being a feminist production.
0: When you watch it, go ahead and apply the Bechdel test to it. And I think it crushes every standard that that test puts out.
1: The Bechdel test was kind of a joke. Alison Bechdel is a comic book, graphic novel, author, artist from the 80s is when she predominantly started publishing. And she had two characters talking about what kind of films they wanted to watch. And they talked about a test about whether or not it was worth seeing. And the baseline of that test is that it had to have two female characters who are named and they have to speak to each other. And it has to be about something other than a man. So something as simple as in a Marvel film, one named character, let's say Captain Marvel herself talking to Black Widow and they're saying, oh, I like really like your nail polish color. Where did you get it? Oh, I got this one at Sephora. And then that's how you pass the Bechdel test. (laughs) It's such a low bar. It's such a low bar to pass. And so many films can't. And I think a lot of films say, oh, we passed the Bechdel test job done. It's an insufficient form of representation, especially because there are more than two genders.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that Wednesday crushes said Bechdel test. I'll leave you up to decide when you watch it. But I think, as as simple as that test might seem, it does speak to just the level of tokenism that happens in Hollywood, whether it's the silver screen or whether what's the TV called, the mini screen, the boob tube. Okay, Dad. <laughs> anyway, I think if you were to imagine what a minimum level of representation would be to cross over from tokenism to authenticity, it would be interesting to apply that to all of the various identities or communities that we've talked about in this episode and see how Hollywood does in general, how often it gets it right, how often it doesn't.
1: It doesn't get it right a lot. I think we can agree on that. There are a lot of changes that may or may not happen as a result of whether or not they're profitable, but award shows have a pretty good degree of control over how studios produce work. And one of the things that award shows could entertain doing differently would be in addition to nominating more people of color. A big step would probably be dissolving the differentiation between actor and actress in the acting categories and just overall maybe having a best performer category. Not only because the artificial distinction between men and women leans heavily towards the superiority of men. Like women couldn't compete with men, so they had to have their own class to compete in. But we're also seeing more non-binary characters or people with um, gender non-conforming identities who would be kind of locked out of those categories or forced to choose under which category to submit their work in a way that might cause gender dysphoria. So maybe we should just do away with that altogether.
0: Mm. Would we have two winners every year?
1: Being nominated is kind of like winning if you think about it.
0: That's loser talk.
1: They could still have uh, an overall winner and make the award shows shorter too. And everybody loves that.
0: <laughs> That's true. Do you know what category I think should be added to every award show?
1: Are you going to say something like the best performance by an animal?
0: Oh, no, but that would be a good one. I would definitely enjoy that. I'd probably tune into award shows if that was a category. <laughs>
1: what would you actually add though?
0: Best podcast of the year. There
1: are... Podcast awards.
0: Oh, what? Why haven't we got one?
1: I know, listeners. Why haven't we gotten one? You can tell us by contacting us at our social media at Twitter and Facebook at Indubitably Pod and let us know why you've let us down two years in a row.
0: Explain yourselves. (laughs) We are very representative.
1: Uh huh. We're two white people. How much more diverse could we get? I'm a woman.
0: I play a conservative on this show sometimes. (laughs) Maybe. If we had more people that have rated us, we would be nominated for some of these awards, too, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
1: Yeah, a five-star rating would make me feel probably as important as Michelle Yeoh. (laughs) Mm. Make us feel as wonderful as the entire cast of Everything Everywhere All at Once will when they win all of the awards today.
0: (laughs) I'm not allowed to watch the Oscars because... Shitty Kitty is upset that there isn't a category for her yet. And so she forces this household to boycott.
1: What kind of film does Shitty Kitty want to be in?
0: Oh, horror for sure. In <laughs> fact, in fact, here you go. For those of you that go to our Facebook and Twitter, I will post a short film, horror film that I directed of my cat, Shitty Kitty. And you can let us know if it was an Oscar worthy performance.
1: Josh? sent me this film right before I went to bed the other night and I just had to replay this over and over again while I was trying to fall (laughs) asleep. That was very cruel of you, Josh.
0: All right. So for our listeners, watch the Oscars, listen to the episode, see how we did with our predictions, then go to our Facebook or Twitter and watch what should have been best director, best film, best leading actress and best animal portrayal in a film, Oscar victories.
1: Well, there's always next year. Everything that comes out right now goes to the 2024 ceremonies. so there's hope <laughs> yet for Shitty Kitty.
0: I'll post pictures of our trophies when we get them.